This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to Buckets. My guest today is the self-proclaimed sixth man of NBA TV's The Starters and quite possibly the most prominent Australian analyst in NBA history. Please welcome to the show, Lee Ellis. You're getting bucket buckets. Lee, how are you doing? Good, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. This is, I think, the first time I've booked a guest from Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. Someone uh, someone just sent a tweet out and said, you know, to, to get me on the show. And I thought, yeah, good. <laughs> I, know you've had, I know you've had skeets on there in the past. And, uh, and uh, you know, and he said it was a lot of fun. So uh, it's great to be a part of it. That's how nice of a guy you are. Somebody just needs to tweet at you. And you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll dedicate an hour of my life to just being on his podcast. Sure. <laughs> yeah, why not? I've got... Uh, you know, I've, I've got worse things I could be doing right now, so uh, you know, gets me out of cleaning the house. Uh, let me give this guy credit because I feel like this is his time to shine as well. And giving people credit on Twitter is sort of what you're known for. So this guy is Squarehead HK. <laughs> That's Squarehead perfect. HK. Is, is he part of your Tweet of the Week army? Uh, he might be now, yeah. I might have to uh, elevate him in the army to senior sergeant, I think. <laughs> Uh, all right. I usually start with a warm up just to get our brains going on basketball. I know this is all you think about all the time, so it's probably less necessary for you. Can you name all number one picks from every draft in the 90s? So 1990 through 99, the first pick overall NBA draft. Who do you got? Well, Derek Coleman uh, in 1990. That's correct. Larry Johnson in 91. <laughs> You're doing great so far. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal in 92. That's right. Uh, 93 was uh, Chris Webber. You're killing it. Killing uh, it. 94 was uh, Glenn Robinson. Wow. You're doing Joe, great. Joe Smith. <laughs> uh, I should say that I didn't give this to you like an hour yeah. ago for you to research. 90, this is straight up off the top of your dome. Yeah. 96, I've drawn a bit of a blank. Uh, Tim Duncan in 97. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 98 was uh, Oliver Candy. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, uh, 99 was uh, Elton Brand. Damn, that is all correct. The funny thing is, you missed probably the one or two that I would remember. Yeah. The 96 draft, the most loaded draft of all time. Yeah, I know that was... Oh, Alan Iverson, of course, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow, 10 for 10. Yeah. That was just... That was an amazing thing. Well, that, you, you know, I mean, that was when I sort of... I started following basketball in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. And so those things... You know, I, I really, they, they meant so much to me in those early years. You know, that's when I just fell in love with the NBA. And so any, any little piece of information I could find out uh, was what I, what I, I just absorbed it all. And so it still rattles around a little bit somewhere in the back of the brain. And uh, I, guess it, uh, I guess it's still there. I still found it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I kind of wanted to start there. How does an Australian kid growing up in the 80s um, in Melbourne, was it? That's right, yep. How do you become obsessed with a game that's so inaccessible people take for granted how easy it is to watch basketball anywhere in the world now but for you in australia i remember visiting israel growing up they didn't have uh, basketball games live you had to like get vhs tapes of nba action and superstars and sort of learn the game that way this is pre-internet yeah well that no you're exactly right there um i grew up i'm the third of three boys i grew up in a pretty sort of sporty family my dad and my two brothers played basketball and mum played a lot of tennis and netball and things like that so basketball is always a big part of our life um, and I knew about guys like Dr. J and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Um, they, they, you just knew about these guys, but obviously we hadn't really been able to see any of these guys play. Uh, and it was around the same time I was into WWF wrestling. So it was Hulk Hogan and Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat and Rowdy Roddick Piper. And so, 
when you have then you have like Larry Bird and Dr. J and Magic Johnson, it could have it kind of intertwined and it was almost like it was the same sort of product, like with these guys with these incredibly um, fantastic nicknames and names. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and so and obviously I heard about Michael Jordan as well, and, and and you know we knew all about him, and he had his own shoes, and it was all it was all very intriguing, but we just couldn't get any access to it. And then one day in in 1987, my oldest brother came home from school, and he got hold of the 1987 All Star Game, and so that was our first exposure to a, a real whole entire basketball game. We'd seen a few highlights here and there, but never never an entire game. And so he put this game on and we started watching it. And, and, and as I mentioned, I knew some of the guys, Larry and, and Magic and those guys. But then there was, you know, Akeem Olajuwon and Moses Malone and Sleepy Floyd and all these guys. And the game itself is really incredible because the West, they're down big in the, in the third quarter. And then they stage this comeback. And, and, the, and the key moment is the West with three seconds to go, trailing by two. And Rolando Blackman drives inside, gets fouled, goes to the free throw line, has to hit the two free throws to send the game into overtime. He does that while Magic Johnson, uh, well, while Isaiah Thomas is in the background talking smack to him the whole time, and Magic Johnson's trying to wrestle him away. Anyway, Blackman hits those two free throws. The game goes to overtime, and the West wins the game in overtime. And Tom Chambers, who uh, the game was in Seattle, and Tom Chambers was a late injury inclusion into that game from the Seattle Supersonics. He gets put into the starting lineup. He goes on to win the MVP, scores thirty-four points. And and so when I was eleven or twelve years old, when I first watched that. You couldn't probably t- convince me that that wasn't also a scripted thing like the rest was. <laughs> you know, it was the most perfect story. And so from there, I just became obsessed. I mean, as I say, that was the only game we had. I watched that just over and over and over and over again. And then I started, I got some uh, basketball magazines from our, our local news agents. They, they got a couple in and it was funny because I went in there and I'd buy, you know, I'd spend all my pocket money, which was what not, not much. It was like 50 cents a week. So I'd save up for a month and go and buy this magazine. <laughs> and, then, and then I'd walk back in there and, and, you know, I'd sort of go up to the, some of the workers there and say, oh, do you have any more NBA magazines? And the lady was like, oh, no, but you're the only one who, who really buys them. So what I'll do next time I get one in, I'll, I'll put your name on it and I'll, I'll save it and you can come out the back here and, and ask for me. And so I said, okay, great. And so then I just started, they started like every time a, a hoop magazine or a basketball digest turned up, they started reserving them for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had but virtually no money to pay for all these, but mum and dad, <laughs> mum and dad came to the rescue, and so um, I just started acquiring all these magazines and, and, and building up this knowledge from reading and researching and doing everything I could. And then, as the eighties turned into the nineties, we started getting a few more um, basketball games and a few more highlights, like NBA action and inside stuff, and that stuff started uh, being shown on TV. But it was never like prime time; it was always like five in the morning, so I had to get up and and uh, tape it and watch it over and over and. Um, I, so I just, I, you know, I, I feel like I, I've been a sort of a student of the NBA for the last 30-odd years and, and it started really with just those um, early beginnings where I just tried to read and, and watch anything I could. And, and another funny story is uh, a friend of mine in high school, this is probably around ni- now 1991 or so, we were, you know, 14 or 15, his dad worked for Qantas, the Australian airline, and uh, one of the things he used to do was like, basically clean and maintain the airlines uh the, the planes when they arrive from los angeles and so he would get the usa today which would have all the box scores and you know a sentence or two on each game and uh and he brought those in and and i was like keep bringing them in but he was a bit lazy and bring them in so i had to bribe him to bring these in and so 
So I was paying my friend for these old USA Today just so I could read the, <laughs> the box scores. And, for six-week-old basketball uh, games. Oh, exactly, yeah. And, you know, this, this was like sometimes it's like only two games on the night before or whatever. So, you know, but I remember. That's a risk you were yeah, willing to take. A huge risk. And I remember, uh, I remember my dad one day gave me my pocket money and then the next day I spent it and I needed more money. And he said, well, I, I just gave you money yesterday. What happened to it? And when I told him what I was buying with the, with my pocket money, he just he was shook his head and he was just like, I, I, I don't know what to say here, you know. So um, <laughs> that's, that's as bad as it gets in Australia, spending oh, exactly. your allowance on a USA Today. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I probably could have bought the USA Today for like three bucks at the airport, but uh, instead I was paying my friend a premium to deliver it to school. And the thing is, my friend, once he realized that, that he was basically getting money for nothing out of this, he was working both sides. He was telling his dad to get the papers. And then he was holding me to ransom, like, I've got papers, but you have to come up with the money first. So uh, That was Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What That's a scam he started he had. his fortune. Yeah. He had a perfect scam going. And, uh, you know, but uh, I, li- I like to say now that um, I sort of, you know, joke with dad that it was a wise investment. Uh, it was one of those, it was, it was probably like a pyramid scheme at the time, he thought. But uh, I like to think it paid dividends in the end. Yeah, you owe him more money back now with all the money you're getting from knowing this much about basketball. Exactly, that's right. Uh, did video games ever cross into the mix? I remember like between like Lakers, Celtics, and the 88 playoffs and NBA Jam and Arch Rivals and all this stuff. That was like another way of learning about basketball. Yeah, well, do you remember, um, I think it was called One on One and it was Dr. J versus Larry Bird. And what you could do is Larry Bird was good at shooting three-pointers, but Dr. J was better at dunking. And Dr. J could smash the backboard as well. And, and basically, it was just like, you know, one screen and these two guys, you know, going back and forth. I can't even – I think you maybe scored to 10 points or whatever it was. Um, but that was the first game that I remember playing. And then sometime in the early 90s when NBA Jam came out, that just took over everyone's video game. Like everyone just wanted to play NBA Jam. And then it came out on the, uh, the Sega Mega Drive, I think it was. That's right. Uh, yeah, and so me and my brother, I remember, started playing that, and uh, that was awesome. You know, you you would just you would you would play uh, game after game after game on that. Um, so that that was really cool. There was another game actually on the Amiga. I don't know if uh, it was the same here in the states, but the Amiga, um, I can't remember what it was called, but it um, it was a game called TV Sports Basketball, and it was it was, <laughs> was the most generic title of all. Oh time. my god, it was it was incredible. But you had rosters. <laughs> And you played full forty-eight minute games, and players was it wore- just text, or it was a graphics? No, no, no. Too? It was graphics. It was graphics, but it had commentary in it as well. It was like wow, yeah, it was really cool. Me and my friend played a league. I remember, um, and it was like a twenty-four game league, and then we battled off in the playoffs and everything. It was it was incredibly detailed for for the time of uh, the time it was in, in sort of nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. Uh, and we played it, and you could create your own names and players and everything. And um, I think we had like a six-game championship series, and there was a bit of bloodshed too. I mean, because you don't want to play all that far into a season and then not win the championship. So <laughs> I think I think we traded a few blows over it. But uh, it, it, you were it, the bad boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But that was the thing. Like I, I remember having on my team uh, Mitch Richmond. I think I had Charles Barkley on my team. I've got I've got all the um, stats like sheets somewhere. I remember I, I kept them all because it was uh, we you know you, you used to be able to print out the box score after the game. It was incredible. Wow. Yeah, it was really really wild stuff. So um, that was a, a lot of fun. But no one really, I mean, because the games we would play like full forty eight minute games of these as well. Um, but no one 
it's not a lot of fun to play with more than sort of two people because the other guy's just sitting around waiting for his turn and that can be like, you know, it can be an hour. So Hearing you talking about your, like your basketball journey, I feel like it started in like 1956, like stealing quarters <laughs> and get, buying magazines from a newsstand and like all the way through Atari up until the early 90s we're at now. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> were you ever a fan of a team? Well, the Lakers, I guess, were the first team that I really followed because um, the, the first the season I really started um, following with some sort of closeness, I guess, was the uh, the Lakers going for the repeat in 87-88 because James Worthy as well in the 1987 All-Star game, as I mentioned earlier, he had 22 points and he looked like he was going to be the MVP. And then they also had Magic and Kareem and Pat Riley was the coach. So I sort of knew a lot about the Lakers um, and, and they were a winning team. And when you're 11 years old, it's like, oh, the team that's winning, great. I'll just be a fan of theirs. Yeah. So I remember when they played the Pistons in that final series and we, you know, so for, for us in Australia, there was no, you know, you weren't checking your tweets to see live, uh, live stream of what's happening. No. I would have to wake up like basically it was probably two days after the game where we would get the result through in the newspaper and I saw the Pistons win game one in LA and I'm just like, oh my God, I was just devastated. I was like, the Lakers aren't, you know, my, my Lakers who have been supporting for a good six months here aren't going to win the championship. Um, and then eventually, eventually they did. They, they won, you know, they come back and they win. They were down 3-2 in that series and they came back to win game six and seven with Isaiah, of course. Uh, you know, he busted his ankle up in game six and had that incredible right. performance. Um, and then in, uh, and then in game seven, the Lakers managed to hold on and, um, it, it was funny because uh, so my oldest brother as well. He wrote a letter to the Lakers at some point during that eighty seven eighty eight season, and the Lakers wrote back and sent him a black and white uh, photo of the team and and wow. uh, yeah and, and like cards and you know some other sort of like little you know little bits and pieces. And so as soon as the Lakers, I found out the Lakers won, like two days after the one, I just wrote this letter and just said, "Oh my God, James Worthy, a triple double. He's my favorite player." And Blah, blah, you know, just like the rantings of an 11-year-old who's just full of excitement. It's funny to like run to a newspaper, pick it up to like check the final score and reacting as if you're watching it live. Well, and, and see, we used to get the newspaper delivered at home and it would be delivered at like 5.30 in the morning. And I remember at like 6 o'clock if the paper wasn't there, you know, Dad, Dad, can you call them up and see where they are? And it, This is only 30 years ago. This no, is like 1908. Like yeah. how it's, it's weird to think like you had to wait for somebody to type it down, put it on a boat and ship it across the Atlantic oh. to get to australia it's crazy it, it is crazy when you think about it um because you know as, as you mentioned earlier kids now they're growing up no matter which part of the world you are you can watch the game in real time on your phone uh you know on, online you can do everything so there's no there's no obstacle that you have to overcome to follow the league anymore you can follow it from anywhere uh, That's right. so, so for me it was like it was, it was like almost a carrier pigeon was bringing the news to <laughs> <laughs> If I were your friend or maybe enemy, I would like print out a dummy newspaper convincing <laughs> that the Lakers lost a championship. You probably wouldn't find out for another seven months. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I was vulnerable to that sort of stuff too at the time. Um, but anyway, so the Lakers, they also wrote back to me and they sent me the same black and white photo and, and, and stuff. And so, wow. one, yeah, it was incredible. And, and I've still got those photos there somewhere. And so once I got a response from the Lakers, all of a sudden I was like, well, I'm just going to start writing to everybody now. And uh, uh, floodgates open. Oh, they did. And, and, <laughs> and it, was, it was incredible because you would, you know, handwrite the letter. And then uh, you, basically it was the same sort of stuff. I would say, pick out a team and I would say, oh, 
you know, this is Lee from all the way down in Australia and so-and-so is my favourite player and, uh, you know, I hope you guys win the championship next year and I'm the biggest fan. <laughs> You're sending it to 25 different teams. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, again, you post it knowing that it's going to take probably two weeks to get there. Someone yeah. then open this letter, read it, reply to it, send it back and that takes another two or three weeks. So it would take sometimes three or four months. But a lot of teams wrote back and, and wow. then, yeah, they sent – something like a photo or cards or um you know in, anything it was and I, those days when i came home from school and there was something in the mail that was addressed from the usa and from say the philadelphia 76ers i mean that was like christmas morning all over for me because it was just like this and i didn't even care if it was only a little letter that said uh you know hey thanks for your support um the funniest one is i've still got it here at home in in atlanta the San Antonio Spurs sent the, the most generic <laughs> response and said, dear Spurs fan, you know, thank you for your support and uh, we wish you all the best. Like you couldn't be more perfectly San Antonio than that. <laughs> Kawhi signed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, so and, – and then the other thing was I actually started writing to the NBA itself. Uh, <laughs> this is like the makings kind of of a murderer. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean <laughs> – if ever, if any time, you know, the NBA office and a couple of these teams got talking about this, you know, crazy letter they received from Elf, and if they compared notes, they'd be like, holy crap, you sent the exact same letter to us, you know. They, Dear they were, David Stern, yeah. I write you, but you still ain't calling. Yeah. I, I even put my home address at the bottom. Well, the thing is, so they, they wrote back and uh, – and on one of those letters, they said, if you ever have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out again. So I was like, well, <laughs> uh-oh. This is, it was like, uh, you know that you know that scene in Shawshank Redemption where Andy Dufresne's writing <laughs> to try to get the funding for the library and, and uh, you know, they ignore him, ignore him, ignore him. And then they respond yeah. and say, you know, we think this is – we've answered your question. Please refrain from sending any more letters. And he's like, well, I'm going to start sending two a week <laughs> questions do you say oh yeah and oh i've got questions yeah like and and one of the one of the letters they wrote is on, is in their studio in atlanta and, and it says like it just answers these questions like uh hakeem olajuwon has been ejected 10 times and, and <laughs> i was like oh my god what on earth was i writing like to sit down and write to the NBA, like, how many times has Akeem Olajuwon been ejected? Who's got the leader of triple doubles? You know? <laughs> it's anything you would Google today. You send ah, yeah. Max exactly. to NBA headquarters in New York City. But they, they were great, though. They always responded, and, and they sent back. They sent me the rule book once in 1990. That's also on our set in Atlanta. That's awesome. Uh, and they sent me like a sports almanac almost. Um, I think it was the Sporting News almanac. So basically like the, the entire season with every player's statistics and all that. And, uh, you know, it, it was just great. I mean, for me, just for them to recognize me was what I was seeking. And, and it felt, you know, and I felt like I was getting acknowledgement. And and so when you're just when you're just such a huge fan and you don't have access to it, to get that sort of uh, response from the from the NBA was just incredible. I was going to say it's it's funny to imagine you like week three writing letters to teams like, "Hey, uh, Milwaukee Bucks, uh, I'm in Australia. My favorite player is I don't know, fucking Blue Edwards. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, send me anything, please." I mean, that's it in a nutshell. That's what it was. Basically, it was like, um, <laughs> if you've got any stuff you can send me, I'd love to put it up on my bedroom wall and. Um, you know, um, and, and, and it was, and, and I think as well, most teams, if they did respond, then they definitely got a follow-up letter as well, because I was like, well, oh yeah, going back to the well for this one. And, I wonder if you, the lack of access made you like your appetite insatiable. It's like when somebody was playing hard to get and you're like, I just want it more now. <laughs> and it's like the fact that it was so hard to get made your like passion 
go from oh, zero to hundred. For sure, it did because it just it, there wasn't anything for me to be oversaturated by it with, um, because I couldn't just then turn on the computer and, and and you know send off an email and then go to bed and maybe get a response in the morning. It was all it was all this sort of dance of like writing the letter sending it out and then hoping and waiting and and knowing that if I didn't get a response within basically three months, I probably wasn't going to get one. But in that window still, I was just like, you know, like, oh, there's a chance they could write back. And uh, I used to hate it when it was a public holiday and there was no mail service because you're like, no, like, (laughs) this is crazy. This is crazy. So, um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things now that I look back at and I do think that, um, it really did sort of help me get into the career I'm in today because I, I, I started that passion and I started following the league and I learned to acquire knowledge about players and teams historically uh, that that sometimes comes in handy. Yeah, holy shit! I mean, you have a you you were studying an encyclopedia literally trying to become one. Yeah, there's a funny story. The guys um, will, will, will like I've told them uh, at the at the uh, starters. We were in summer league. I think it was our first season in summer league, like five years ago, maybe six years ago. And Derek Harper, the Mavericks uh, color commentator, was there. He was doing some games for NBA TV. And I knew Derek Harper because of the Mavericks when I first started following the league. They were they were great with Rolando Blackman and Mark Aguirre and James Donaldson was also an all-star once. And so I went up to Derek Harper and I started talking to him about some stuff that happened 30 years ago. And you, you, you can imagine most times when you meet a celebrity, if you start talking about things, they, they sort of quickly try to end the conversation and move on from it. <laughs> yeah. But it was funny when I started saying to Derek, oh, I remember this game and when you did this and that. And and because it was something that was kind of uh, sh- showed him in a good light, he was like, oh, yeah, well, we can keep talking about this. This is great. And so, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so uh, it was kind of funny. It's a bit of a running joke with the guys as well now how, you know, like I said, anytime Derek's in, we've got to get him on the show and uh, hopefully we'll get him in sometime because – because there's been other guys like Isaiah Thomas and Charles Barkley who I talk to um, about things that I remember from the first game I saw them in, for example. And it's funny how you can sort of see them sometimes just trying to go over their mind about trying to remember that moment or that incident. Um, but I've got a, a you know somewhat encyclopedic memory of it because because it was so so important to me at the time and it sort of stuck in my memory it's also they haven't watched the 1987 all-star game 30 (laughs) times you have like they experienced it and that's it yeah exactly (laughs) exactly i did a feature on that game and uh you know i spoke to isaiah about it and and it was incredible because there's a couple of things that isaiah said that were off camera and i almost had to correct him i said no well this happened and this happened he's like oh yeah okay 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 so Uh, actually, it was yeah. the third quarter that yeah. you rimmed out. A... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for those guys, I, I guess all-star games and all-star weekends, like it is for for all of us as you get older, they sort of, you know, those memories blend in a little bit and you're not sure if it was this season in this city and this year. Um, but, you know, when you have someone there who's kind of correcting the record, I guess uh, – I guess it helps a bit. I'm surprised you didn't stay a Laker fan. Like, as somebody who had such a passion and who, like, heard back and, like, had magic and worthy, like, that's how you become a Laker fan for life. I grew up in L.A., so it was, like, around me 24-7. But it seems like your introduction to Lakerdom should have stuck around for longer than it has. Yeah, it, it's it's funny like that. I think um, what happened was because it was they, – they were, like, the first girl that I ever saw, so you think she's the prettiest. And then yeah. – and then as you see a few other players, particularly like Akeem Olajuwon for me, like he's obviously, you know, one of my favorite players of all time. And when I saw him in Houston, I was like, oh my God, this guy is incredible. Ironically enough, the Lakers nearly got Akeem in the in the early 90s there. There was, uh, I think there was a trade that fell through at the last minute. But, um, and then you started seeing a few other players 
that would that would just interest you and 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 start to take your um, attention away from from those other teams and and the Pistons. I mean, that was a thing. I even though I, I I loved it when the Lakers beat the Pistons. When you then saw the Pistons come back from that crushing defeat and win two more championships, and just seeing Isaiah Thomas and the way that he played, it was hard to not sort of feel feel a connection to him because the thing about like a James Worthy or a Magic Johnson at six foot nine. Those guys have a genetic advantage um, when they start playing. You know, they're, they're, if they're if you're a great athlete and you're six foot nine, then you're, you're you tend to be a basketball player. But Isaiah Thomas was only six foot tall, and so he gave hope to guys who were actually small. And I was a tiny kid, by the way. Like I was like you know the smallest, scrawniest little kid on the team. But when you see a guy like Isaiah making the NBA and being a star and winning championships and being Finals MVP, it I think you feel a bit more of a connection that, hey, maybe I can actually make it as well because um, Isaiah can't dunk. You know, Isaiah doesn't have to sort of reach up over guys to score. He can go inside and, and take contact and score and still be effective. And and so it gave you more encouragement. And then, of course, Michael Jordan exploded onto the scene. In, in uh, I mean, he was always like he was great. But once the Bulls started winning, then it just elevated the Bulls to a, to a new era. And, um, you know, they, 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 they were just incredible those years watching Jordan uh, reach the top and then do things that Magic and Larry and Isaiah weren't able to do because prior to Jordan winning that championship, it was like, well, he's a great player, but he hasn't been able to win a championship. And then all of a sudden he wins three in a row, you know, takes a couple of years off and comes back and wins three more. And so um, I think what happened for me was I just, I went from falling in love with the Lakers to just falling in love with the league and, uh, you know, and, and really just, finding that there were so many other teams that I enjoyed watching and players that I enjoyed watching. And um, that's why I sort of, I, I think I lost my my first passion for just following the Lakers. Yeah. So has there ever been a team that like stuck with you or are you even from that point on were just a player fan? Well, the run TMC Warriors certainly got my attention. Um, you know, Mitch Richmond and Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen. It was great because it was it was perfect Don Nelson, just like chaotic basketball, guys just out there running and scoring and having fun. But the thing is, I think when we look back at Run TMC, we all remember it as a great time, but it was only two seasons and that was it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and they upset the Spurs in the playoffs in 91, I think when they were uh, the uh, underdog in that series. And I was like, oh, my God, maybe the, maybe this Warriors team, this crazy team, that just seems to not play defense, but everyone just gets out and shoots. Maybe they can win a championship, but then they traded Mitch away uh, and got Billy Owens, and it just, you know, it just didn't quite have the same appeal. Um, so I sort of, yeah, I mean, that that was the thing. I, I sort of, uh, you, you, it was hard to not go for Jordan once he started winning. I mean, it sounds like a front runner for sure, but once he, you know, once they won that championship. Then it was like, well, I don't want. I certainly didn't want the Portland Trailblazers to beat Jordan in '92. <laughs> yeah. um, and then when Charles Barkley basically admitted he couldn't beat Jordan in the East, so he goes to the West, and then they make the finals and they have home court advantage, and Jordan beats him still there. It's like it's 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 like how can you not sort of pull for this guy because every challenge that he faced Jordan, and every time these other teams almost stacked up to try to beat Jordan, he still came through. And not only that, Jordan, you know, he had the cool swagger. Uh, he hit the game-winning shots all the time, and everyone tried to say this is a year someone's going to beat Jordan. But but he and the Bulls always came through. So um, it was like it, we, I think even though it's easy to look back at now, I think even in the time we all kind of knew that Jordan was something more special than we'd ever seen before, and and was doing things that um, that again that Magic and, and Larry Bird and Dr. J weren't able to do, and and kind of was putting his name 
even back then as the, as the greatest of all time. And uh, I think it still holds true to that to today. Yeah, he was the original more than an athlete. For sure, like the an athlete that's bigger than almost basketball itself. Oh yeah, I mean all those commercials he did, and you know he was in Michael Jackson's video, and he had Space Jam, and doesn't you know whether you think of that movie is good or not doesn't really matter. But it was like, oh my god, this guy. Everything he does, you know, when the when the dream team went to Barcelona, and it was like Jordan even still seemed on a different level to the rest of his incredible teammates at the time. Let's take a quick break to thank my bookie. You know, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket or picking a national champion, predicting first round upsets, or all of the above, my bookie is the perfect home for March Madness fun. Will Zion and his teammates cement his legacy at Duke? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? And will Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers to any of these, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is, they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking within 48 hours fast. So, bet with the best. Then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with my bookie today and use promo code Amir, that's my name, for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code Amir. With my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Do you remember your first game that you watched uh, live? Like, n- not even like being there, but watching live on, was it TV? Did you have to like fly to Canada to watch a basketball game live? Well, I guess... Uh... I, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't really remember because what happened in '96 or '97, we used to get the full games of the finals replayed on TV late at night. So we'll say, we'll say it was like midnight, and they'd have game two of the uh, Bulls versus the Sonics or whatever it was. Got it. Um, so it wasn't wasn't live per se, um, but it was tape delay. And and by this stage, it wasn't like three weeks later after the incident. I was like, you know, maybe 24 hours after the game happened, they they had it on Australian TV. So um, I think it was, and they were, I can't remember, was it 97 or 98 maybe? Uh, but I definitely remember seeing, no, it was 97 when the Bulls and the Jazz played and, and the Bulls had a chance to close out the series in, uh, no, hang on, that was in... Uh, Maybe that was 98, because hmm, they played the Jazz twice. Yeah, those two series really blend together. <laughs> yeah, they do. tell the difference. Like, I don't remember the first Bulls Jazz. You just remember yeah. like, the Jordan iconic shot yeah. over that's Okay, so that's muscle. what it was. Yeah, 98 it was, because I remember the Bulls had a chance to close out the series in Chicago, and Antoine Carr had a huge game for the Jazz, sending the, sending the series back to Utah for Game 6, and everyone's like, oh, my God, Jordan's going to not be able to win three in a row here. Um, but, but, of course, he did. Uh, but I think I guess my first live game that I went that I that I saw was probably in Canada when I moved to Canada in two thousand and one when uh, I, I had a friend who was living there and I, and I lived there with him for a while and, and I saw the Raptors and Vince Carter I knew a lot about Vince Carter uh, because he was the sort of next baby Jordan or the next Jordan um, but the first game I actually ever attended was a Pistons and Raptors game and so I was fascinated to watch Vince because I was like. This guy's got big, big wraps on him, and, and, and I want to see if he can live up to it. And he had a bad game. He, he was shooting the ball badly, but it went to overtime. And then in overtime, Vince rose up and hit the game winner. And I was like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. Like, this guy, <laughs> you know, 
I'm glad my first ever game that I went to in person was an overtime victory by the home team and the star hits the game winner. So I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> You're like the Forrest Gump of basketball is what is the story yeah. that's being yeah. told right now. Yeah. Take me through becoming like a, a from an Australian boy who's obsessed to now becoming on NBA TV. Like what's the path there? Well, it's uh, it's certainly not a path that I planned out and, uh, and like that. I, I I was around 22 years old and I was living in Melbourne and I, I decided I just wanted to do something else. So I first went to London. I lived in London for a while and then I, I lived there for like two years. And then, as I mentioned, I moved to Canada because a friend of mine from Australia who was actually a Canadian guy, but he lived in Australia for a long time when his family moved out there, moved back to Toronto. And, and I was like, well, Australia and Canada have a, a reciprocal working visa arrangement. And so so I got this working visa and I said to him, like he was single, I was single. It was like, oh, you want to just live together for a while? And it's like, sure. And so I moved to Toronto and uh, and as I mentioned with that first game I saw, I got, I got right back into the NBA because when Jordan retired and the league went on strike and I was living in London, I kind of, I kind of fell out of love with the league for, for uh, a year and a half or two years there because – Jordan had gone, and and then you know it. I was I, I was at a different stage of my life. So when I moved back to Toronto, uh, I got right back into basketball, and 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 it really um, it was my passion. But I was restricted in the way that I couldn't stay in Canada long term. I only had a one year visa. So after that visa expired, I went back to London, and now I was like I was in a really um, it was a really weird situation because I was so obsessed with basketball, but I couldn't do anything about um, writing about it or, or or covering it because there was you know people didn't weren't blogging in two thousand and two or anything like that. And so, funnily enough, it was around two thousand and uh, and two thousand and five, and I decided to apply for another Canadian visa. And I thought they'll probably reject it because I've already had one. But I got a new passport, and I thought I'll just try again. I'll just see if I can get a new one. And they actually approved it. And they said, sure. You know, so I said, okay, well, I'm going back to Canada for a year. And this time I was like, well, I, I was 29 years old. And I'm like, all right, I've got one year in Canada here to try to enjoy as much of basketball as I can and, and, and see what happens. And uh, again, I was single. I had no money. I had no real career path or anything like that. And I said, I've got to try to somehow make the most of this. And after a few weeks I was in Canada, I met this girl in a bar and uh, – it was pretty funny because I was hammered. I'd been out all day at the baseball, and uh, and I went up to this this guy. This guy said, "Hey, you want to meet this girl from Peru?" And I was like, "Sure." And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I had no prospects at that time, and and so I went up and I started talking to her, and she was sober, and I was drunk, and that was it. The night was over, and there was nothing, nothing happened. And then a few weeks later, I was in a different bar with a friend of mine. And this girl walked in, the same girl. And I was like, oh, that's that girl from a few weeks ago. I mean, she didn't want anything to do with me that day, but I'll, I'll see if she wants anything to do with me now. And so I started talking to her and, and, and she was in a better mood and she was like, oh, you know, yeah, I remember you, blah, blah, blah. And, and then so I just decided, I said, hey, you want to you wanna go out for a drink sometime? And she was like, sure. And so we started seeing each other uh, not too long after that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was incredible. Like, I remember thinking, like, maybe she thought I was a different guy or maybe she doesn't remember me <laughs> that, that first night. But so one thing led to another and we started, you know, we, we became pretty close. Uh, but I was in the same position where my visa was about to run out. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do here. And so I decided, I, I decided well, I'll go back to London and, and live there and we'll sort of try this long-distance relationship thing. And after I'd been back there like three or four weeks, we were texting and emailing and, and all that stuff and uh, it wasn't really working. And I, I said to her one day on the phone, I was in a phone box on a phone card in London 
Oh and, I just, and I was like, look, this is, you know, I mean, this is crazy. Like, you know, we're 30 years old, you know, we, there's no real chance of staying together unless we get married. So, you know, do you want to get married? You, you asked her while you were on a payphone? <laughs> yeah, while I was on a payphone, yeah. So, so Was yeah. your idea to propose or were you just like racking your brain? You're like, well, you know what, why don't we just... Yeah, no, I did I did think about it going in, but I was like, I can't just like, she can't just pick up the phone and I can't be like, hey, you want to get married? I, I thought I'd just have a talk and see how things are going. And then and then I moved to the relationship <laughs> and, I, and, and I expected her to sort of say, oh, well, you know, I had some fun, but, you know, that's a pretty big step. Maybe we should yeah. do that. But instead, she didn't hesitate and she was like, no, let's do it, sure. And I was like, "Wow, I know, I know, crazy." <laughs> so I was. She's your Gen A. I know it's crazy, and so I was like, um, "All right, well, I guess I'm moving back to Toronto then." So I, you know, packed up all my stuff, and 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 uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, I moved back to Toronto, and and we kept it quiet from our friends and family. We said, "Let's let's just give it a few weeks first, and make sure we want to go ahead with this." Um, and then and then we got decided we did, and a couple of months later, we got married. So. What that did was it allowed me to at least stay in Canada uh, and get a work visa, and so I still didn't have um, I didn't have any prospects. I didn't have any career at this point. But what opened was this uh, sports media college in Toronto. It was brand new, and they were they, their their sort of pitch was: if you want to get into sports journalism or sports media, we we we're the sort of the path that lets you get started. Wow. Yeah, and so I was like, great. So I went and had an interview there, and uh, and they said, okay, it's great. And then they told me how much it was going to cost, and I'm like, oh my god, I just don't have, you know, I don't have twenty thousand dollars, which it's going to cost. I have a calling card yeah. uh, that I used to propose to my wife. Yeah, exactly. I, I said I looked at my bank account, and I'm like, wow, I've got like I don't know five thousand dollars in there, but I'm like, I just got married, you know, I've got no no income. <laughs> I have a Beckett from 1987 yeah. that helps you evaluate basketball cards and this VHS tape of the 1986 dunk yeah. contest. I know. I said, is that worth is that worth 30 grand to anybody? <laughs> so anyway, um, the funny part was my wife, uh, her sister, she she was she had a good job, and, and my wife's like, well, you know, she's she's pretty good with her money. She's sort of saved some money, and I could ask her to lend you the money if you like. And I'm like. Oh my Whoa. god! I mean, like, what a what another big step this is. You know, we just got married and I'm broke, and I'm asking your family for money. Um, but my wife was incredibly supportive, and she was like, "Listen, this is this is your chance. You've got to you've got to do something here. So I'll help you do it." And so anyway, so I went to this uh, school, and it was a two year course. And after the first year, I got an internship at the Score Television Network, which is uh, it doesn't exist anymore. It was in Toronto. It doesn't exist as a TV network anymore. It's still an app. Um, on the phone, but <laughs> everything is an app now. Yeah, exactly. And so I got this. Uh, I got this internship, and and then I I, I became full time. I started producing stuff in the web department where we didn't really have any anyone. No one really knew what to do with the web. It was like put videos up and try to get content, but we don't. You know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram didn't really have the same the same power that it has now. So no one really knew how to to do stuff. And anyway, after about a year or so at the score, that was when uh, Skeets and Tass and JD from the Basketball Jones and Matt uh, joined. And I knew who they were, but I didn't know them all that. I didn't know all that much about them, but I knew they did a sort of daily show. And then when I started, uh, when they started at the score and I started seeing what they were doing daily, I was like, oh man, I've got to get in on this. This is, this is, the, this is what I want to do talk basketball all day and, and be involved in a show. Yeah. And, so I would often just stroll past their office accidentally, like, "Oh, hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, great. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you need help with anything? You know?" And they were sort of like, "Oh, yeah, nah, we're we're good." But occasionally they were like, "Oh, yeah, we need a hand with this. We need something with that." 
But uh, the, the funny thing is my big break came during the lockout in 2011 when there was no basketball. And the guys, yeah. you know, at this stage were producing a daily TV show or a daily uh, web show and they had no content to produce. And so somehow, this is, this is another incredible part, somehow they convinced the bosses to send them around the U.S., uh, for a nine-city nine stop over a five-week to do a podcast tour. <gasps> Were you there? Because that's yeah. when I met them. Yeah, so that's like right. the, This is like when our stories cross for just a few microseconds. Yeah, you well, in the New York show? Yeah, yeah. No, are you Because you did an interview with Skeets. Is that that's right? right. Yeah, I've, yes. I shot that one. I, I filmed that one. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. That's incredible. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. That's still on YouTube. That was yeah. you shooting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I shot that. I may have even... Uh, <laughs> I may have even edited that one as well. I'm not sure. Um, so but, we have met. Yes. Yes. And Holy so, shit. Well, so that's the funny thing is is uh, they, there was five of them at the time. Trey had joined. And so I I just got back from Australia. My wife and I had been to Australia for the first time. And, I, I you know, again, I wanted to sort of casually bump into them. And I walked past their office and, and Matt and JD had all these cities written up on the whiteboard. And, uh, and I said, oh, what's going on, guys? And they're like, oh, we're, we're doing this tour. And they said, uh, what, are you, what are you doing in November? And I'm like, I'm like, you know, nothing. Why? And they said, do you want to come on this trip? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. And, and they said, well, it's five weeks and we're going to blah, blah, blah and all this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Now, the other part of this story that I should say is my wife was pregnant with our first child at this time. Of course, of course. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for the cash, honey, but uh, I'm going to hit the road. Yeah, exactly. Shoot exactly. interviews with dumbasses talking <laughs> yeah. about sports for about five weeks. Well, that was the thing when I said to her, like, you know, trying to tell your wife, like, I'm going on a podcast tour, and she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I don't I don't really know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I know they've invited me to go on it. I think it's a great opportunity, uh, and I'd like to go. And, and she was like, you know, like again, as she's rubbing her tummy with our three three month uh, three months pregnant with our first child, I was like, I was like, oh, I you know, I want to go, but I don't want you know. I mean, what if something goes wrong? I mean, she wasn't about to give birth, obviously, but no, yeah, you know, like what happens? Number she, one, first pregnancy. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, again, she was very supportive and encouraging. She's like, just go and 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 try to make the most of it. And so, you know, we went on this trip. It was uh, you know San Francisco and Portland, Chicago, blah blah blah. And it was around, I think it was around Thanksgiving when the NBA announced the season was coming back and we would be starting on Christmas Day. And, uh, and so I spoke to JD, I think it was in Boston, and I said, you know, JD, when this, uh, when this trip ends, I'd love to work with you guys full time if, if you'll have me. And, um, and he was kind of like, yeah, well, let's talk when we get back to Toronto. And we got back there and, uh, and the season started and, and I joined the guys full time and it was just an incredible, uh, incredible opportunity, incredible timing. Um, but I sort of also felt I was ready for that moment because I had done things uh, to leading up to that point that had put me in a good position to to be, you know, not only help sort of produce the show, but uh, to be somewhat of a contributor to it as well. Yeah, it's like it's not quite all luck because you've been sort of training. It's like how they say luck is the residue of design. Like you put yourself in a position to take advantage of that luck. Well, that, that's right. That's what I think about when, you know, if you're a – doctor for example you don't just walk into a hospital and start operating on patients you know you, you know you you go to school and you learn and you study and you and you then have um experience and i and i think i was a student of the game for so long um and then i learned some other skills that helped for their for their show that those things combined put me in a position where it was like i can i can offer something to this show i can bring something to the table uh and and i guess they agreed and they saw that um you know 
either that or it was like, how do we get rid of this guy? I'm not sure. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> he's he's such a terrible cameraman. Let's put yeah, him in front. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, I gotta say, as a as a fan of you guys, the personalities work so well. Like between you and Skeets and Trey and Taz and everybody works so well off of each other. You're like a. I can't imagine the show without you now. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I think that is what makes the show what it is, though, is that all four of us on air do have our own personalities. And, and, and sometimes, you know, they, 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 the chemistry works, you know, really well. And, but also, we're also remaining true to who we are because, you know, people who watch the show know that, you know, I like the fundamentals of the game, you know, free throws and passing and, and, That's right, and very it, solid play. Exactly. I love that sort of stuff. Whereas Trey loves the goofy side of, of the game, but combined, we're kind of covering everything, and um, you know that—that's what I think really gives the show uh, it, its its strength is that you've got four different uh, people bringing different things to the game to the table, um, and combined it makes a, it makes an entertaining product. All right, switching gears for a second, it all feels very inconsequential after that amazing epic story of your life. But I want to talk to you about the current state of the NBA. Uh, let's take a look at the playoff picture. Who is your best bet at an upset in the first round? We're looking at the Spurs, Thunder, Jazz, Clippers in the West, Pacers, Pistons, Nets, Heat in the East. Do any of them have a chance without home court advantage in round one? Yeah, yeah, definitely in the West, I think you're more likely for that to happen because last year we saw the Jazz do that to the Thunder when that was a six versus three seed. Um, the Jazz are one of those teams, I thought coming into this season, they were going to be top three. Uh, they haven't been that, but at times they've shown they can be. And I think when you've got someone like Rudy Gobert, who's such a an impactful defender, that if the Jazz get rolling, they're going to be pretty hard. They can be pretty hard to beat, especially if they draw someone like the Portland Trailblazers in that first round, who we saw last year with home court advantage really struggle. And especially now, if CJ McCollum is out for an extended period of time, I think that puts the Blazers in a vulnerable position. So I really like the Jazz. And the Clippers, the Clippers are weird because we kind of all thought they were they were in them for the tank when they traded yeah. Bryce Harris, and instead they've played their best basketball of the season without him. Um, <laughs> it's weird. Now they're, pro- I mean, where it stands right now, they're likely to face the Nuggets or the Warriors. Okay, they're not going to beat the Warriors, but Denver, and we've talked about this a lot on the show. As great as they've been this season, they've never won a playoff series with this current crop. So there's a lot of pressure on them to perform. And Denver is a great home team, not as good yep. on the road. But if you you know if you can steal one of those first two games then the, the Nuggets are under a bit of pressure. So I think there's a chance. I, I think, having said all that, the top four teams probably advance. But, um, you know, in, in the playoffs, an injury, a, a bad game or two from one of the star players, and uh, things can turn pretty quickly. How about this? Would you take the field if I offered you a bet? Would You you can either get the Warriors or literally every other team. Who would you bet on? Uh, I'd, I'd probably stay with the Warriors. It, it's hard to see them losing four times in seven games. Um, I, again, like... Who's really going to beat them? I mean, the Rockets last year, if Chris Paul doesn't pop his hamstring, I think the Rockets not only win that series, I think they win the championship. But that just shows how fine the line is and the margin for error is so thin that you've got to play perfect basketball and everything's got to go your way to beat the Warriors in a series. I don't think the Bucks can beat the Warriors. The Raptors, if, if everything goes right for the Raptors, maybe. But, I, yeah, I, don't, I just can't see, I can't see a team. The thing is with the Warriors, because they've won – and they had that incredibly excruciating loss in 2016 to the to the Cavs. I don't think they get complacent when it comes to the playoffs. I think they know that it can change at any minute. So they're they're you know everyone's relatively healthy for the Warriors. They're motivated. This is a chance to do something special, winning four in five years. 
Um, I mean, they don't have a real weakness. That's their that's their problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or that's everyone else's problem. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great thing for them. Yeah, they they don't. You know, and the thing is, like Kevin Durant has had a bit of a bit of an up and down year as far as uh, he's gotten into it a bit with the media and stuff, but. Man, when he's on the court, you know, it's like he just he can go and get you 35 points any night. And then if he's not having a good night, you've got Clay and Steph and, and uh, Draymond Green. And, yeah, it, it's tough. I still take the Warriors. But I hope we get something more exciting than we saw last year with that sweep of Cleveland because after the Cavs blew it in game one, everyone knew it was over. Yeah, it's funny that that was the East just last year because there's so many good teams in the East. But where were they? Where were they a year ago? Where was like yeah. Philly, uh, the Celtics, the the Pacers, the well, the, the Celtics. Raptors. I mean, the Celtics. How they didn't beat the Cavs is is beyond me because they were up in that series. You know, they led they led two zero. They led three three two. Um, and then, you know, it took, it, they just, the only game they really had to sort of keep it together, that game seven, and they couldn't, and LeBron just managed to <laughs> squeeze out another win. I mean, yeah. incredible. But, but I'm also glad that the Celtics didn't go to the finals without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward because then that would have been. Oh, God, that yeah. would have been. What's, what's worse than a sweep? Yeah, <laughs> watching a team without stars, yeah. <laughs> what was that like sweep? I think it was like five or six years ago where like Atlanta swept Orlando. I think they like aver- they averaged margin of victory was like 25 points a game. It might have been that yeah. the finals. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That, that that I remember that happened. It was uh it was a boring series, yeah. <laughs> that um, was the most lopsided playoff series. Yeah. It was almost like did they did they really have to play that fourth game? Yeah, I, I know. the best I, of five. Well, I I think that's what they should do in those first two rounds. If it's a 3-0 series, you just call it. You don't have to Mercy. Play, you don't have to play the last game. Yeah, I'm sure the owners would be down for that too. Yeah. <laughs> What's the biggest threat to the Warriors? What team, what one team do you think has the best chance? Is it still the Rockets or is it like a team coming out of the East like Philly? Oh, no, I think it is still the Rockets. I mean, the Rockets have beaten them three times already this year and they had a close game just last week because when Chris Paul is there, the Rockets, they can they can kind of get the uh, Warriors out of their game a little bit by just playing that ISO stuff that they know that the Warriors don't enjoy defending against. And if they target a few players like Steph Curry in the one-on-one and like DeMarcus Cousins in the pick-and-roll, they're at least a chance. Um, yeah, they're definitely but, the least afraid. Yeah, and that's the thing. They know they can beat them. They know they can. But it was it, it, honestly, it came down to that hamstring injury and yeah. – it, it just changed the entire course of the season because if the Rockets if the Rockets eliminate the Warriors last year in the conference finals, that's just massive for the NBA. But instead, the final score was Rockets uh, the Warriors sweeping the Cavs. It was like, oh, the Warriors are too good, and then they get to Marcus Cousins. But yeah, if they if they if this was a sort of bounce back year, and it's like, man, man, the Warriors, you know, will they do it? Will they do it again this year, or can the Rockets uh, keep it up and, and, and beat them again? Because then this, the whole intrigue of of Kevin Durant leaving and Clay Thompson maybe leaving just becomes so much more fun. Yeah, uh, there is something to the the Rockets wanting it more to me. Yeah, it feels like the more desperate team has a slight edge, and if you've won three or four or five or three or four, whatever it is now for the Warriors, you can't care as much just psychologically because you yeah. already have that. Success. And you look at Chris Paul, who's been so close in years gone by in the playoffs, but something's gone wrong. You know, they had that series against the, uh, uh, what was it, the one against, they beat the Spurs in the first round, and then they're up on the Rockets 3-1, and then they, they blow it, and they blew it against Oklahoma City a few years ago as well. Like, the, uh, the Chris Paul has got so many sort of playoff nightmares, and then last year he gets so close to what would easily be his biggest triumph, 
Yeah. And his body lets him down again. And if it happened to literally anybody else, I would feel bad for him. But for whatever reason, I can't display any sympathy towards Chris Paul. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about. What does that say about me as a basketball fan? Well, the, the thing about Chris Paul is I think he's a brilliant player. Like, you know, easily one of the best point guards we've ever seen. I agree. But he, but he, he kind of is hard to get excited for because he does the flopping and he complains and he's, you yeah, know. it's the sticking the butt out. It's the yelling at yeah. the refs after he flops. It's just like, you're yeah. too good to do this, I think. Well, and, and that's the whole knock on the Rockets right now with James Harden. It's like, James Harden, you're, you're a brilliant player. But when, he, when he's getting to, like, you know, getting all these flop calls and stuff like that, you're like, ah, don't do that. Just, just play, man. Just beat <laughs> these guys, you know. Yeah, do another step back. Those are yeah, awesome. You yeah, love to drive. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah, and and so it's frustrating, but you know, you sort of, you sort of, again, just for the just for the interest of the league, you want to see another team, or certainly a team, take down the Warriors while they're still in their prime, so that uh, you know, it's not like oh, the Warriors got to the end of their run. I mean, in in reality, the Warriors could easily win another three or four after this year as well. The way that you know, Steph's only thirty and Clay's about the same, and you know, <laughs> I mean, if the Warriors keep everyone together, it's like oh man, it's pretty daunting for the rest of the league still. It's insane. Um, all right, let me let me leave you with this one last question. Yep. One last hypothetical. You're the commissioner of the NBA. A secret cabal of underlings come to you and they say, you know what? We can rig the NBA draft. <laughs> where should we send Zion? Oh. <laughs> you get to choose where Zion lands. Adam Silver, yeah. Lee Ellis, where do you choose? Do the Knicks deserve him? Do they deserve him? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, definitely best. I, I don't know. Knicks or Lakers, I think, would be yeah. the most exciting thing to talk about. Yeah, because the thing is, teams like the Cavs or the Suns, they've had you know the number one pick in recent years. The Cavs have had like four in the last ten years. Yeah, I feel like that would be a waste of Zion. As yeah, the yeah. Phoenix. And I, I'm, I am a person who's like, I want the Knicks to be good, but not too good. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, know you want, you want the Knicks like they were with Mello a few years ago, where I think yeah. they second and it's like second round, yeah, a little insanity. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the way I want them. So, so give him to the Knicks. Give him to the Knicks, and um, and, and let's see what he can do there because. I, you know, it's the same with the Lakers. Like, I want the Lakers and the Knicks to be good, uh, you know, again, so they can be dethroned. That's what you want. You don't, having them just rot in the, uh, in the bottom of the um, standings every year is no fun for anybody, you know. You want yeah. the, it's, it's better to see a team, you know, fighting and doing well and then all of a sudden things, you know, don't work out for them. I think that's, you know, it's a bit psycho as well, you know, but uh, – <laughs> Well, the Knicks already got the frozen envelope Patrick yeah, Ewing draft. Yeah. So, what's the equivalent now with ping pong balls? Can you? Yeah, them? exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you. Maybe maybe you put a little bit of sand in one of them so that they. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit heavier, so it falls at the right time. It is funny that it used to be just this wheelbarrow filled with envelopes. David Stern just stuck his hand in and yanked one out. Is that yeah. how it actually worked, or is that just how yeah. I remember it? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it was uh, <laughs> like it was a raffle at a yeah. state fair or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a raffle. That's what it was. And uh, yeah, the Knicks got lucky. I mean, that frozen envelope story, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great story. It's a great story. It's a great story. Well, thank you for sharing your great story with us. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Oh, of course. This was awesome. Uh, is there anything you want to promote? real quickly before we uh you have to get on out of here uh well just to start as every night nba tv 6 p.m eastern <laughs> hell yeah watch that and listen to the the drop podcast every tuesday and friday one of my favorite basketball podcasts to listen to we've got just one quick thing we've got a new t-shirt coming out soon check it out it's uh it's got a little bit of an att- attachment to me to it so i'm looking I'm whoa looking for it. yeah 
No spoilers. I did wear my wedgie shirt the other day, and somebody oh, gave me a high five at the gym. <laughs> perfect. Uh, so I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Uh, again, Lee, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Amir. I had a great time. Of course. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye, everybody. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>